Hello and welcome to episode 380 of the Thinking Poker Podcast from Owings Mills, Maryland. I'm Andrew Brookes. And from the Bally's Casino, I was going to say all sweets, but that's uh, <laughs> Rio. From Bally's in Las Vegas, this is Carlos Welch. And not in a suite. Yeah, not in a suite. I'm in a regular hotel room, about as half the size I'm used to at the Rio, but if you want to be at the WSOP, you got to settle for this now. Although, did you really want to be at the WSOP? I wanted to be in the building. I did yeah. not want to be in the tournament room, which I, to this point, have not been in. Is it been almost three weeks? I've been here three weeks and I've not been down there yet. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think you're making the right decision, but it is funny that you're like a professional poker player who is staying in the hotel where the World Series of Poker is going on and have not been down there in three weeks. Yeah, the, the the funniest part was being a Phil Ivey fan and have him heads up for a bracelet and, you know, could easily, you know, be right there on the rail in five minutes. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> didn't even watch it on Poker Go. I think I was I was probably just like reading Twitter at the time. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it is awkward for me to be in the building and not participating in the festivities. Although you did get to participate in that the poker news thing that you're doing commentary for. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. So I was invited by uh, my friend Jesse Fullen of Poker News to come down and do commentary in the booth for the Poker News Cup that was held down at the Golden Nugget presented by Gorilla Gaming. <laughs> I have to throw that in there. Maybe Gorilla Gaming invite me, will invite me back to come and take for some other things they do. But yeah, that was a whole lot of fun. whole lot of fun. Is that still available that people could watch the replay of it if they wanted to see you in action? Yeah, so if you go to YouTube or Twitch and find the Poker News channels, you can find that event. It was held June 27th, so if you just search by date, you'll be able to find that for sure. Poker News Cup at the Golden Nugget, day two is when I was on. Awesome. What else have you been up to out there? Let's start from the beginning, before we <laughs> even get to Vegas, because the idea of this episode is kind of like a throwback. You know, from back when I was, I guess, we would do these episodes of like, what the hell has Carlos been up to over the last three months? Just life updates. So I want to say something that was a big deal for me in May, or we'll just go back to the beginning of the year. But the big thing was I've been on a hardcore mission to lose weight all year. So I started in January and went from 296 in January down to 225 in June. So like about a week ago is when I did my final weigh-in. And this was also in conjunction with a weight loss bet that I won. So most of what I've been doing this year is avoiding people because people tend to like to feed you. <laughs> and, so, and so it was easy, you know, the first half of the year when it was just me alone at the Rio or down at the Harris and Laughlin. But the past three weeks, when all my friends started to come in town for the WSOP, it was a little bit difficult. I had to turn down some invites, so I didn't get a chance to see my buddies Craig and Jeff and Mike. I didn't get to see, but Mike will probably be back for the main. I had to basically avoid everybody up until my way out day. And then once I weighed out, you know, it was, I was ready to mingle, but everybody was gone by then. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, that's what the first half of the year has been for me. Just yeah, hardcore weight loss. And you know, 225 is like my lowest weight since 2014. So yeah, big changes for me this year, for sure. I did notice you, uh, you definitely look slimmer when we had our monthly call for our premium Patreon people last night, and uh, it, was, it was noticeable in your face. Yeah, yeah, the Thinking Poker Daily guys can definitely go back every month and see me slowly <laughs> disappearing on the video Zoom calls. And I'm not done. I still have another five to six months in this year where I'm going to probably lose another 30 to 40 pounds. If you recall, at the beginning of the year, I on January 1st, I made a tweet basically saying that I was going to lose 75 to 100 pounds this year. And I lost 70 so far, but I'm going to try to get to 100. So that's what I'll be doing after the WSOP. I also had the brief thought, although I, I realized immediately that this is wildly out of character for you, but something about the way you're your earbuds or the yeah the like headphones that you were using while you were on the video something about the way they were hanging around your neck it looked like you were wearing a gold chain (laughs) (laughs) i'm probably more likely to wear a gold chain than you are (laughs) you know what i'm going back to 2014 carlos with my weight but i'm not going back to 1994 carlos with my uh, jury choices yeah when i was a kid did you wear a chain when you were a kid when, when i was a kid a herringbone chain was was a part of my life, yeah. <laughs> herringbone so chain, I <laughs> rings. I had a ring. The only thing I refuse to do is get an earring. I've never had an earring, but yeah, I definitely had a herringbone. wasn't I, real. I could, I could see you with a ring. That, that's not too surprising to me. Yeah, yeah. If I think back to the late nineties, <laughs> yeah, some of the stuff that. I had back then would definitely surprise you. Some of it you got a chance to see because on my birthday, we got a chance to uh, watch some old home videos of me from, I think I was 18 on that video. So you were able to witness my white camouflage jacket as well as my (laughs) red flannel jacket. (laughs) Some things that you will not see from 2022, Carlos. Okay, so you lost the weight. Congratulations on that. Yeah, so I lost the weight. And also I won about a thousand dollars on the weight loss bet. So that was nice. Immediately lost that in the um online bracelet event. So I think like the same day. So it took me six months to get that money and about six minutes six minutes to lose it. But, but that's okay. I, six minutes um, to invest it. Yes, to invest it. So I'm I'm ha- I'm fairly happy with my play. And then just a quick it sounds like a sad note, but it actually is. It's a happy note. I was able to, like everybody, I have two grandmothers. <laughs> and one of them was not doing too well last year, but she's doing fine now. In fact, spending time with her in the hospital is what inspired me to lose the weight because I could see myself, my future self in the hospital struggling like she was if I didn't get it together at probably about half her age, which would be ridiculous. <laughs> and so, yeah, so she was a motivation for getting that done. But I have another grandmother who unfortunately passed two years ago. And when I was home for the holidays this past year, I went to visit her burial site and couldn't find it because I noticed that you know, they didn't, this is my dad's mom, they didn't have a um, headstone for her. 
So I'm thinking, I knew where the cemetery was. So I'm thinking, I'll go down there and I, you know, I know her name. So I'll find it. And I walked around that place forever and I never found it. I was like, where's her plot? And it, that's when I found out she didn't have a headstone. So luckily I had a little bit of disposable income. So I was able to purchase her a headstone and it just got placed about a week ago. So that's good news. And, uh, Thank you to you and the rest of the poker community for helping me get the disposable income to get that done. So that was a good thing. Yeah, that's very cool. Congratulations on that. Thank you. You know, the bad thing is I started work. So I I went down there on Christmas and I started working on getting this done in January and it just got done like a week ago. And it's because the place that makes the headstones was kind of backed up because they had so much business, I guess, oh due to God. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they actually sent me a letter like, uh, yeah, we're kind of swamped right now. So this is going to take a lot longer than it used to. I was like, oh, my God, what a what a letter to receive. Yeah. Yeah. That and also they were struggling to find people to place the headstones because like everybody else, they were dealing with worker shortages, either from just economic reasons or maybe the workers also out sick with COVID or whatever. Mm-hmm. They don't give you a discount to go do it yourself? <laughs> you know what? Maybe they would have. Uh, in fact, you know me, man. I I definitely looked online before I uh, went to a local company because you can get them cheaper online, I think. But they're not light. So I started thinking about things shipped. <laughs> get that thing shipped and installed. I'm thinking like, nah. I did. I did go to YouTube though, watch a YouTube video to see how if I could install it. It was a lot more than. <laughs> oh my God, I thought I was Oh man, no, no, no. I was definitely. If it was simple, I probably would have done that. But it was not simple at all. So I just went with the experts. I wonder what kind of government list you end up on when you Google how to uh, <laughs> <laughs> how to dig a grave. Yeah, yeah. How I know you weren't actually digging the grave, but. Yeah, yeah, you gotta set, you gotta set it a certain way. You gotta pour like concrete, like any. If it was just like, hey, take this concrete slab and like sit it next to this other concrete slab, I could do that. But I'm not gonna be doing too much digging and pouring concrete and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I just let the experts handle it. And what's funny is the place that I went to is like within walking distance from where the cemetery is. So they were like, oh yeah, we we know exactly where that is. And um, we have good relationships with the people down there. So yeah, it was a no brainer to go with them, but it did cost me about an extra 200, $300 if I would have just, you know, compared to if I just gotten something off of Amazon. <laughs> 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 I myself, I definitely considered it. <laughs> But, you know, all that's taken care of now. I'm happy. The family members that know about this are happy. There's not many. Basically, my point, man, on this, because I'm here in Vegas, was my older brother, who's my son's, my dad's son, but not my mom's son. (laughs) That that was a big revelation to drop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) My dad's. My dad's son. So my half brother, I guess, is the way that I should say that he is from the area where she's buried. So it was very easy for him to facilitate things down there. So, yeah, he got that taken care of. So he knows about it. He's seen it. But I got some other family members on that side who have not seen it. And I'm sure once they do, they will be happy and appreciative to myself 
and the rest of the poker community. Uh, again, despite my jokes, that is very, very neat. And it's great to hear that you were able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was May. And then May and June was basically the weight loss bet. I'm just looking at my notes here. And around my birthday, I was able to start playing some of the online events. I had a couple of deep runs. I got 19th in a circuit event online and 57th, 57th in a bracelet event that had I not busted would have ended around, basically ended on my birthday because it started on the 12th. It would have been after midnight. And that would have just been like almost too perfect. <laughs> almost <laughs> too perfect for me to you know, get back out here. The first bracelet event I play, I win on my birthday. Like that just wouldn't be fair to everybody else. So <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay with losing that one. I'm just happy to have a, a deep run. 57 and probably like a thousand player feel. And that was about the last good thing that happened to me <laughs> in Vegas in terms of my play. Everything that has been downhill. But the good news is our mutual friend, Briar, who finally gave us permission to not call him OMC and just say his actual name on the podcast, since he's basically <laughs> a professional poker player now. He's just crushing the senior events left and right. He came in town, cashed about 60% of the tournaments he played, culminating in a chop at the Aria senior event for 20K. So he came right in and like, you know, any luck that I may have had in the room, he <laughs> drained it all out, took it with him. And now he's down there crushing day two of the Venetian super seniors right now. So he's probably going to get another final table chop. But I think he said this time he's not chopping. He's just going to run over all the other old guys. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, he's crushing and it's, it's great to have him in, in town and doing well. And I said, this is part of the benefit of you being at Bally's, right? Or being part of why you're there is uh, you, you would book this room well in advance when it was still like easy and cheap to get rooms there. And now it is like available for him, among other people, to, to benefit from. Exactly. So around last year, when, so like last October, when they had the, WSOP at the Rio still, they announced that was it was going to move to Bally's in Paris, but they didn't announce the dates yet. But, you know, being a, a thinking man, <laughs> I knew it was going to be in the summer. I knew that June and July were in the summer. <laughs> I also knew that I was going to be here even if the thing got canceled. So I just booked the day they announced it. I just booked for Basically, the entire month of June and July, I booked those last October. So I got very cheap rates. And like you said, now there's a place here available for Briar and other friends who might be in town. If you were to book these rates after they announced the official, you know, dates for the WSOP, it would have been a lot more expensive. So Pre-booking and also having the diamond car has definitely helped out with Briar's stay. So, yeah, he's definitely appreciative of that. And also just having a car in town, you know, I can drive him around and, you know, because I hear the Uber rate. So it kind of threw the roof these days. Yeah. Back in the days when I was staying, you know, if I was just coming for the main event or for a shorter period of time for WSFP things, I mean, even in a short period of time for the main event is still like a week plus, which is a long time just be living in a hotel room and like eating, especially at the Rio where you're a little more isolated and can't even get to stuff on, on the strip so easily. Having somebody with a car 
available is is a huge quality of life boon. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I was able to go down and um, rail him when he chopped the um, senior vet at the Aria as well. Had him get me two pieces, two slices of pizza for payment. Uh, <laughs> and then I provided him some poker caddy and code services. And like, you know, that one was close enough because we're on the strip. I just walked down there. I wish I had driven because he was still in it. After like 1 a.m., I want to say is probably around the time they chopped. And so walking back after, you know, he was playing all day and I don't even know what I was doing all day, but I was tired, too. So when it was time to leave, I wish I had driven, but it wasn't so bad walking back. By that time, the crowds have died down. So that's that's really the problem walking on the strip is the crowds in the sun, uh, neither yeah. which you get too much of at, at 1 a.m. So I guess then you don't have, uh, if you've not really been down to like see or experience the venue, you don't have a lot of thoughts on the new WSOP venue. I don't in terms of like, I hear good things about it. I will yeah, the, say the general consensus on, on Twitter, except for the time when the air conditioning was broken, <laughs> it does seem like the consensus is that people are happier here than they were at the Rio. Not that that's a high bar, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say for me, the main concern would be the traffic and also parking, but neither of those have been bad. In fact, the traffic is really has really only been bad the times when Briar needed to go to other venues to play. Well, actually, you know what? There was one weekend here that I couldn't get for a cheap rate, so we went back over to the Rio for a weekend, and then having to like drive over to the Rio, and then like I think he played at Venetian that day, so I had to like give him a ride from the Rio to the Venetian and deal with traffic on the Strip at that time. That was a little bit hectic, and I was kind of thinking that some people might have to deal with it every day if they were not staying on the Strip, and but they were coming here every day to play. But you know, with us having a room here, the parking situation or the traffic situation has not been bad for us at all. There's an elevator that goes directly to the food court. So that's been great for me. <laughs> While he's out playing, I could just like, you know, like right now, I could I could leave this car right now and be back with a, a foot long veggie sub in about <laughs> 10 minutes. So I've done I've done that multiple times, which is something that you couldn't do at the Rio. So for me overall, it's been a net positive for sure. That specific thing of getting a footlong veggie sub, I guess it take more than five minutes, but you know, shooting over the Gold Coast for that subway. Like once I discovered the Gold Coast, I felt a little less isolated at the Rio because there are some some uh, slightly there's like a you know, food court and, and a few slightly more like normalish places to get food rather than just all the like insane Rio restaurants. Yeah, but imagine you're at you're in your hotel room at the Rio, you go to the elevator, you press a button, and when you get off the elevator, you're at that subway at the Gold Coast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. No walking in the sun. Now, I honestly... No crossing that road where people are trying to murder you. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to cross that road. You don't have to like swim through like a sea of poker players because the food court is on the bottom level and the poker room is on like level one. So you just bypass everything. It's just you and tomatoes and lettuce immediately <laughs> it's great and then also across the street there's a little convenience store with like actual convenience store prices and not strip prices so that's another thing if you ever want like you know 
you can actually get a can of soda for like less than three dollars. <laughs> Where here at the Rio, over here at Bally's, also at the Rio, if you were going to use a vending machine, you probably need it. You know, three bucks at a minimum to get get a can or a bottle of soda. But yeah, you can go over there and you know get normal prices on stuff. So I didn't expect that. I knew that that place was there, the convenience store was there, but I just assumed that because they had such good proximity to the strip, they would probably overcharge you with strip prices. But that has not been the case. Yeah, that certainly would have been my assumption. Yeah. Other things that's happened. So we interviewed uh, Matt Matrios recently in one of the first, I can't remember if this was an online circuit event or an online bracelet event. We got sat at the same table. We didn't get a chance to play any hands, but we both got sucked out on and busted before the money. Uh, it might have been after the money. I can't even remember now, but, you know, we had a common experience getting screwed in this tournament, but we didn't play hands against each other. But so that was fun. Now, getting back to what you were talking about earlier, you alluded to earlier, me commentating the Poker News Cup. This was cool. So I got asked to do this by Jesse Fullen from Poker News. And when I get down there and I look at the players at the table, I notice June Kim is at the table. And June Kim is the player who got second to me heads up and my online bracelet win. So like immediately I'm just going back in time. Like I'm hearing Jesse's voice, who was the guy who called the uh, action at my final table. (laughs) I'm hearing Jesse. I'm seeing June play. And the only difference between this and the time I won the bracelet is that I'm not playing. (laughs) But so that was a fun experience. It was pretty cool to see June in person after playing him heads up for a bracelet. Out playing heads up for a bracelet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I won. I won. Uh, I would say, I would say it was pretty close. But yeah, he's a great player and a couple of great players. I was shocked at how well everybody played in this tournament that I commentated on. It wasn't even like a final table. It was day two, so there were still probably like sixty players left, and I maybe saw two or three tables. So I don't know anywhere between like twenty to twenty-five players, and not one of them were like the ignition players that I play against, or even the early stage, the early level players I play against in these bracelet events online. Like everybody was playing pretty solid. That was impressive. Not only were they playing solid, they actually reminded me a little bit of myself and that they were stoic and focused at the tables and not like, you know, trying to get shots going and and, you know, just doing all the rowdy stuff that I kind of imagine when I think about live poker. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember making the comment that, man, if live poker was more like this, I would actually play it. But it's rarely like that in my experience. Oh, also, also, last thing on the Poker News Cup, got a chance to meet fellow Thinking Poker guest Jackie Burkhart. She came into the booth and did commentary with Jackie and I. I'm sorry, with Jesse and I. Also had Jack Burr, <laughs> I forget his name, Jack from Poker News, who does some of the videos. I think it's like Bitter, Bicker or something like that. Got a chance to meet him. He was pretty cool. But yeah, just finally get a chance to meet Jackie after interacting with her online for all these years. That was very cool as well. 
This is one of the many nice things about having you as, as a new co-host. It's a nice impetus to try to bring people back on the show. Of like, sure, you've done the Thinking Poker podcast before, but have you ever done the Thinking Poker podcast with Carlos? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that is a good impetus to bring people back. Uh, what was funny is that Jesse was almost a little bit, I don't know if surprise is the right word, but he kind of introduced us. And we were like, oh, yeah, we know each other. We never met, but we know each other. It was almost <laughs> like we had met before. Like, we were, like, fairly familiar with each other just from online. So, yeah, I'm sure she would be happy to come back on the podcast. Speaking of other people who I've met through you or who people who know about me through you that I was pretty excited to meet for the first time in person is Nate Silver. Uh, got a chance to have lunch with Nate Silver and Ari from Dan's Game C3PC. I don't know why I have trouble saying those words in order, but we all had dinner together. It was my first time meeting Nate, and um, he was awesome. Dan is always awesome. First time meeting Ari, he was awesome. This is, I think Ari's last name is Burkhalter. And all these guys were crushing, like, they were crushing these mixed games that I don't know anything about. So most of the lunch was just them talking about Stan Pat and all this other shit that means <laughs> nothing to me. But he was deep in the 2500. Ari was deep in the 2500 mixed triple draw. I don't even know what that means. Nate was deep in the 2K no limit. And I didn't get a chance to meet Steve Albini because he left, I think, the day before. But he is also he also plays in this home game that we all played that the listeners may have remember from the Joe Stapleton episode us talking about this game because Joe also plays in that game. And that was the impetus for me to get in the game as well. But Albini won another bracelet. So he won the 1500 horse and immediately broke his bracelet the day he got it. But and then there's a new guy that I I don't know. He's probably he's sure he was in the game before me, but. In my mind, he's new because he's one of the few I haven't met yet. His name is also Ari, Ari Oxman. He got deep in the Colossus. I think he made like the last three or four tables of the Colossus, which I don't even know how many. I think that tournament had like 14,000 runners. So everybody from Dan's game is crushing, it seems. And it was nice to get a chance to meet all these guys in person once again after, you know, having played with them online. Really cool, really cool. But I was... Especially happy to meet Nate. Yeah, it, it's nice that you, I mean, I'm sure it feels bad in, in some ways to be like missing some of the events, but, or maybe it doesn't to you. <laughs> but, you know, I, I feel like there's always that tension during WSOP of wanting to, on the one hand, it's like some of the best poker opportunities of the year. And so you want to be kind of like putting in the hours or like using your off time to, you know, sort of rest up and like maximize your ability to take advantage of, of the good games that are going on. But then it's also like the once a year opportunity or, you know, it turns out for me anyway, a once in four years <laughs> opportunity to, <laughs> you know, to, to see friends and listeners and potential new friends. And, you know, it's, it's always been difficult for me trying to balance the, the competitive and, and the like, social elements of it. And it's nice that you're able to you know, lean into the, the social elements to the extent that you care to. Yeah. Like that's for me, it's been a COVID like not wanting, like I had several more live events on my schedule before we had this conversation about COVID so that kind of freed up some time to do more of these um, social events. But 
I didn't even start doing that until after I won the weight loss bet for obvious reasons. But yeah, if it wasn't for COVID, I probably would be a little bit more likely to play as opposed to hanging out with guys. But even then, being someone who doesn't really like live poker, I was planning on like late regging a bunch of that stuff anyway. So who knows? I would go down there and be out after like, you know, immediately losing a flip or something that would have been completely fine with me. So I would have had, you know, more time for these gatherings either way. I've never been the type where I feel like I need to maximize my the economic uh, value of my time like you know i'm the happiness ev guy so i'm gonna trade up you know some ev in a live poker tournament to meet nate silver every day every time that opportunity comes up i did miss out on an opportunity to uh, go to um stapes comedy show though that's something else i was looking forward to he was pretty excited about it he, he tweeted a picture of his name on the mgm marquee yeah, I was like, cool. yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. And I, and I was going to go with those guys to watch him perform. But then I got invite to do the commentary at Poker News. So I did that instead. But yeah, I got my limit. <laughs> I got my limit on the amount of social stuff I'm willing to do. But I've turned down a lot. I've turned down more than I've accepted. And this is even after the weight loss bet. Yeah, that is one of the highlights for me about being out here. Well, that's good. I'm glad you've had those opportunities. Yeah, yeah. I got a list. I got a list of just, you're the host. And actually, you know what? This is weird. I guess I'm also the host. So it's fine that I have I have the show notes that you're not privy to right now. But it feels like an old school episode where I was not the host and you would be, you know, teeing me up with questions. But you don't even have to do that this time. So what it's else like, have you been up like, to, Carlos? There you go. See, you're an expert. Other things I've been up to are a new product release that I have been working on for the past six months. I talked about, you know, I was working on losing that weight since January, but I've also been working on building out this product since January, and it just got released earlier this week. And it's called How to Win an Online Bracelet. And this is something that I've been working on in conjunction with Alice Fitzgerald, Assassinato. And we basically just took all the deep runs I made last year during the 2021 online bracelet event series. I had five deep runs. Obviously, one of them culminated in a win. But it's a whole bunch of hands. <laughs> so I recorded all the hands from all those events. And we basically put together what I'm calling like a summer simulator for anybody who, you know, can't come out here for whatever reason. And they just kind of want to, you know, get a little bit of the experience that I had last year playing the bracelet events and also feedback from like an Avengers team of like legendary poker coaches, including Andrew Brokus, Ryan LaPlante, and also Giraffe Ganger. I, I no longer even like hesitate when I pronounce that. It's just Giraffe to me from now. And also Alex Fitzgerald. So basically all of us, basically all the names I mentioned just reviewed my hands and the bracelet event. And uh, yeah, gave me some feedback that I've learned from and Hopefully, if anyone purchases the product, they will learn from that as well. I definitely feel a lot more prepared for the bracelet events this year than I did before after having gotten all that feedback from you guys. And, and it, yeah, I mean, I made another deep run on the first try. 
So definitely some of the stuff I learned in that product or learned while making that product helped me to make that that deep run this year as well. So I feel I feel good about my chances in the bracelet events going forward because of that product. That's awesome. And the last thing is because this is a question everybody's probably going to ask is like, you know, am I going to play any live events? So I've taken all the live events off my schedule. I'm probably going to play my specialty, which is the mega satellites. They start in about two days. Briar was nice enough to bring me a legit N95 mask. I've been rocking the KN95 mask since COVID started. But, you know, to have the real thing will be nice and helpful. And I'm going to be Max Lake Regin. So again, limiting my exposure by wearing a, a proper mask and also probably losing the immediate <laughs> flip as soon as I get there and leaving. <laughs> I'm willing to risk it for the satellite. So I'm definitely going to play the satellites. And even if I win the flip and like, you know, lucky enough to win two flips, at that point it's probably just tank folding for an hour to get into the money in those. So it won't be playing 10 hours and bagging, coming back multiple days. So I won't have to worry about that unless I decide to play the main. And I'm kind of keeping my eye open on the numbers to see if that's something I will be interested in doing. If I do that, I'm probably going to late reg that as well. I would say that is probably down to like a 10% chance, but it's probably like a 90% chance I'm going to play the Megas. So as far as like, you know, seeing me in the WSUP poker areas, briefly, you'll see me coming in and out of those satellite events. And that's about it. And like, I don't know if people have seen me walking in the halls, but at this point, no one has like, you know, stopped me and say, hey, are you Carlos? I don't know, maybe the mask helps with that. Also, I'm like half the size I used to be. So I haven't run into anybody yet. But in case anybody's here and they're wondering, like, why they haven't seen me, that's because I've been spending all my time at Subway and in this room. But you might see me in the next couple of days if you play satellites or the megas, I should say. But that's basically it as far as how my year has gone. I will give two other shout outs quickly to people who are, I would say, members of the Thinking Poker family. Angela Jordanson got third in a 1K freeze out for like 150K. So she started off the summer pretty, pretty good. As far as an update from Jackie, Jackie says that Angela is already back to complaining. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, and I made a comment that, you know, you, you definitely don't get to complain for a while after a six figure score, but, you know, sometimes we like to break the rules. And I can't remember, or it's been probably too long if Jamie Kerstetter has been on the show. She sure has. Yeah, so been too long. It's time for Jamie to come back and give us an update. But I'll give an update. She got second in the tag team event. Her and Corey Padgett from Solve for Why got second, and Pat's Patrick Leonard and his partner got first. So Patrick Leonard, I just kind of like guest on the show. That's right. I don't know why I forgot that. I didn't forget that. I mean, okay, I can tell you what his episode was about because I listened to it and it was one of my favorite episodes, but. Somehow it slipped my mind that he had been a guest on the show. So, yeah. The, well, the unfortunate um, former... thing with Patrick, we lost some of the audio from that interview. So, it, I mean, it was a long one. I, th- I think maybe we talked to him for like an hour and a half, but we only have the first 45 minutes or something like that. It's uh, it, it was a bit of a shame. We, we did lose some good material there. But 
what we have uh, is still good. Yeah, it really was good. Like it was very memorable and very helpful for me as a listener. So, yeah, kind of like <laughs> sad to know that there was some that I didn't get a chance to hear. But yeah, seems like, you know, all the past Thinking Poker guests have been crushing this year the WSOP. You'll have to see it. Yeah, and shout out to your students as well because Briar, Briar is kind of like flying the flag for your students and he's been a student of mine as well so uh, if anybody's out there looking for coaching especially if you're playing senior events and you just want to be you know probably top one percent of players in that room contact andrew for some coaching for sure it's funny having never played the seniors myself i've probably coached more people in the seniors than anyone else (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i'm looking forward to it man i'm the more i rail and see these things the more I look forward to it. I had a joke the other day with Briar. I started calling it the shortest deck. That's my new nickname for senior events. So like short deck is when they take out like deuces through fives. And the senior events, they take out deuces through nines. Like every hand that he sends me, every hand history he sends me is just nothing but paint. So like, yeah, this is like a cooler fest, man. And you could probably get over there and run over those if you're willing to play pocket nines because a lot of those people are a lot. <laughs> it seems like they're not even playing their hand. <laughs> yeah, I feel like by the time we're senior eligible, it's not going to be such a good tournament anymore. <laughs> they said that 10 years ago, man, and I think it might be softer now than it was back then. <laughs> so I'm hoping that trend continues. I do know that trend is happening online, at least on Ignition. Ignition is 100% softer today than it was 10 years ago. Not only that, 10 years ago, they didn't even offer like 1K buy-ins on Ignition. I would say the 1K buy-ins on Ignition are softer than the 109s on Ignition from 10 years ago. Well, I mean, with the seniors specifically, I just mean there's going to be a lot of other people aging into it who are much higher caliber players. I know what you're saying. (laughs) <laughs> but there's some people 50 plus now who are much higher caliber players who don't play that event. I don't know why. There's a lot of people who should be playing that event who don't. I should give a shout out to Mike here because Mike, my buddy Mike Snyderman, is playing those events now. What I feel like I've tried to like you know talk to him about value hunting in the past, and he hadn't he hadn't taken too well to it. But you know I was proud when I saw that you know. He was playing the senior events and tweeting about, you know, they were the best events he ever played in his life. And he actually left. I think he's probably going to come back for the main, but he played the senior events and he left when these like 3K6 max and, you know, all these other like tough events that are that he would normally be interested in playing or going. And I'm like, man, I'm proud of Mike, man. Mike Mike is actually, you know, he's on team value hunt now. So I'm happy to see that. Today's strategy segment is quite literally brought to you by Thinking Poker Daily, which is to say that we're grabbing questions submitted for Thinking Poker Daily and discussing it on the show. Certainly, if you enjoy this or any of our strategy segments or you just like the show and would like to support it, you can do that at 
patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily. And as the name implies, you will get access to every weekday a strategy segment from Carlos and me. Just you know, 10, technically they're supposed to be 10 minutes. The way we go on often, it'll hit 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> us, uh, discussing I'm trying, mate. I'm trying. Strategy concept. <laughs> yeah, patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily. Yeah, we need Nate to keep us in line with, you know, making the episodes last longer than they should. So, yeah, Nate was really good at that. Quick live update. It's kind of cool that we get to do this. Brian just tweeted me that he's, or DM me, that he's just crossed the milli mark. So he's got 1.2 million with 16 left in the Venetian seniors. So he's in the process of taking this thing down as we speak. Nice. Go, Brian. This is going to be really fun for him to look back on when he wins it. Yes. Or if he busts in 50, he's probably going to unfriend me. (laughs) (laughs) This hand comes to us from Duncan. This is in the main event at the MGM. They are literally hand for hand on the exact bubble. Hero is in the big blind with nine big blinds after posting the blind and the big blind ante. Having heard this much, I assume even with no further information, the right answer is probably fold. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And this is, did you tell us exactly how big the bubble is? Yeah, it's paying 105 people and there's 106 left. So, you know, literally, even if you had merely an average chance of of making the money, you would expect to make the money 99% of the time, right? You know, like at at this point, it is going to be 99% of people in the tournament and make the money. So the value of your stack when you, as long as you don't get eliminated right now, is basically $2,400 min cash as as a floor. So if you get eliminated now, you're losing, you know, basically $2,400 from the min cash plus whatever your, your stack would be worth, which means that you just need a either an extremely good hand to get all in or like is there even i mean if you had aces i mean so let's imagine i know i still haven't told you his actual cards but let's imagine there's like a min raise and you have aces in the big blind in this scenario do you shove do you call do you fold i set by <laughs> <laughs> i'm literally set by the way aces here i will say that might it might matter a bit who opened where they open from, stack size and all that sort of thing, because this is one of the few spots where I think you benefit from some fold equity with aces pre-flop, where if I were to jam aces here, I'm hoping to not get called. Oh, sure. And if someone jams on me, I'm probably folding aces here, like very likely folding aces. So you put me in the big blind and you give me an opportunity to just call to see if I get a third ace. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically set mining here with aces. Okay. The, the the big key to why I'm playing it this way is what you said earlier. We're no longer sitting behind a stack of nine big blind poker chips, whatever. We're literally sitting behind $2,400 or whatever it is. With that guarantee to at least get this cash that I feel like I'm playing a cash game with money on the table. And not only that, if I – so remove the chips, put 24 $100 bills on the table. That's what we're playing with now. If I double, it doubles to about $2,800. <laughs> if I lose, it goes down to zero. That's what. That's kind of what I'm. how I'm picturing this situation because you told us that this was a pretty big field. And if you have nine big blinds in a pretty big field and you double, you're probably not going to double to a top 10 stack 
you're probably going to be doubling to how many players did you say? 105 are going to get paid. So 106 remain right now. Right. So 105 get paid. If you were to double from nine big blinds, maybe you put yourself in around like 80th place. And that payout, the payouts that you're likely to get if you were in 80th place right now are probably like an extra two, three hundred dollars at the most. And so your risk to reward ratio is really bad here where you have a guaranteed twenty four hundred that you're risking for like an extra three or four hundred on top of it. Aces does not have enough equity versus even like, you know, I was going to say seven do soft suit. Yeah, I was, I'll go with that. It probably doesn't win often enough against seven do soft suit for me to make that sort of gamble if I had zero fold equity. Yeah. So the good news is because you're so close to the money and you're probably not the shortest stack in this tournament, you can call to try to hit a set. And if you hit a set, now you're looking at something like, you know, 95 percent likely to win maybe that has enough equity to risk this guaranteed money that you have but pre-flop i'm not delighted to have aces in this spot and being this close to the money so yeah i'm either gonna shove against a guy who i think is folding damn near everything or i'm gonna try to set mine and this is why people stall in the bubble it's like if it's not even profitable to get down aces then obviously it's like bad for you to be getting down hands <laughs> the fewer hands you are dealt the better yeah and there's some people who may not really and i should give a caveat that this is how i play i don't have evidence that this is the correct way to play these spots but i strongly feel that that is the case and this is basically us just talking about icm and there's some people who don't care about ICM. They want to play for the win. Yeah, you can choose to do that. There's a good chance that you're losing money doing that. But if you are okay with that, then yeah, it's fine for you to choose to take these spots. But me personally, I generally don't enjoy risking $2,400 for an extra 300 So the handy question, our hero actually has ace-queen in the big blind. Ace-queen offsuit, I believe. A young pro opens under the gun for 2.5x. He seems to have a huge stack, 100 plus big blinds, I'm assuming is huge. Duncan says he's wearing sunglasses and his physique suggests he (laughs) spends a lot of time in front of a computer. (laughs) He's in Vegas for the duration of the SOP. He's opened about 40% of the 10 hands that we've seen. Then under the gun plus one, who is a pro, also calls also from a very big stack and it folds around to the hero. So we've got 2.5x under the gun, under the gun plus one calls. Those, those players both have very large stacks, and the heroes in the big blind with nine big blinds on the stone bubble. You know, I think that what, what Duncan tried to go for here was the same idea, trying to set mine with, with the aces of like, well, I'll call and see if I flop top pair with the ace queen. And then if I do, then I can just shove. Does that seem like a viable strategy? No, <laughs> because one pair is the second worst hand in poker. The worst hand in poker is no pair. The second worst hand in poker is one pair. So if you, especially post-flop. So it's not like if you call here and you get an ace-high board, you're going to win this hand like 95% of the time. A lot of times you may not even be a hit. <laughs> your opponent could flop two pair. Your opponent could have ace-king. Your opponent could have a set. Your opponent could have a flush draw and get there where you're ahead, but you're only like a two-to-one favorite roughly. So, yeah, there's just way too much risk and not enough reward. Like, what do you gain from calling here, hitting top pair, 
check jam and getting it in and winning. You go from nine bigs to 20 bigs at a table where a guy has more than 100. It's not like, oh, if I win this hand, now I get to abuse the bubble. When that's the case, you can take on more risk. So, for example, let's say you have something like 50 bigs here. You put me in this same spot with 50 bigs, I might jam over this open. Because, first of all, I'm not going to get called that often. And if I do and win, now I get to be the one abusing the bubble. So I'm taking on more risk, but there's more reward for that risk. But when you're in this spot where you're just taking on a lot of risk and the reward is next to nothing, I don't even want to see this flop with a hand like ace-queen. I guess I'm too pair mining. Like, maybe that has enough equity. One willing to be happy to get it in, but not not one pair. Yeah, and I think once you're two pair mining, that probably comes along too rarely to be worth doing. Yeah. Right? It's much harder to flop two pair than it is to flop a set. Exactly. Yes, what ends up happening, Duncan does call here. We go to the flop with nine big blinds in the pot, 7.5 remaining in Duncan's stack. The flop is queen jack six, and Duncan open shoves. I mean, as it happens, the other two players fold it and he wins, but it is one of those like, you know, I think not even just in this scenario, but I think in general, people have sometimes have the idea of like well, calling and seeing whether you flop top pair is like the safe way of, of playing these hands as opposed to, I mean, I don't think you should have shoved this preflop either. But, you know, I think there are some other contexts sometimes where people will be like, well, you know, I thought it was safer to, to call and see if I flop a pair rather than like shove preflop. And the problem is even if okay, so you flop top pair here, you shove, you could still get called, like you said. I mean, someone could have, you know, aces, kings, queens, jacks, sixes, queen, jack. But even getting called by something like king 10, jack 10, and like that's still very bad for you. I mean, even if you're even getting called by a worse queen is, is bad for you. Like getting called by yeah. king queen, you don't win often enough there. I think to to justify getting stacked on the exact bubble. I mean, maybe that's more comparable to a set if you knew for a fact you could get in against king queen. Maybe that would be worth it. But even that is like is close. I, I, One of the players folded six four, which is bottom pair, and like it's bad for you if you could call by that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I. Would gonna say like i'm super excited this guy fold six four because if he calls he's got like 20 percent equity so it's almost like getting an aces pre-flop versus damn near any hand is gonna have close to 20 percent equity versus aces and for the same reason i don't want to call a jam with aces pre-flop in this situation i guess here we're not calling jam we're jamming ourselves but i guess the the correct analogy would be the reason I want some fold equity with aces preflop, if they open and I jam aces off top of them, is the same reason I want this fold equity here. Is because if we get called, we're going to lose one time out of four, which is a lot when we are risking 2400 for an additional 300 roughly. Yeah. Thinking maybe has something to do with us open jamming the flop and not getting called by the 6-4. How much equity does 6 4 has? Yeah, I don't know. Not terribly important. Yeah. Couldn't have been that important or I wouldn't have forgotten that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so lucky, really, that it, I mean, lucky to flop the top pair. Lucky that it got through. Glad that you didn't have to learn the hard way, Duncan. But yeah, you just you have to fold so much when you're in the exact bubble like this or even, you know, remotely close to it. You know, like probably even with 90% of the field caching, I imagine this would be a fold preflop. Yeah, like anytime you have a stack that you're confident that you can fold your way into the money with and a stack that is not big enough to 
threaten the other big stacks to basically if you double if you double and you're still considered a short stack you probably should just be trying to fold your way into the money if that's possible but if you're so short that you don't know if you can fold into the money then you want to take some spots but you want to take some spots with fold equity where maybe you just open jam like i'd rather let's say if i was facing the jam with ace queen and i didn't think i could fold my way into the money i'd rather fold the ace queen and just open jam any two cards from late position the next time I get the opportunity because I don't want to take on like I don't want to have to win the hand at showdown I just want to like steal the blinds one time and that would be enough for me to fold in so that's what you're looking to do if you're in striking distance to do that and if you're just above that where you're confident you can fold your way in but you don't have enough chips to threaten if you double then uh, threaten a, a significant cash if you double your only goal at that point should be just to get into the money. And it's not like you are conceding a chance to win a tournament by doing that. You're just locking up the cash. You're a long shot to win the tournament anyway. So you're going to lock up the cash first, and then you're going to try to spin it up. There's no reason to try to spin it up on the bubble and risk a guaranteed cash when you can just do that after the bubble. Yeah, very well said. I, I think that's a, a good heuristic of the if you can fold in and you're short enough that like you'd still be short if you doubled up, then that's really the time to be like super risk averse. Yes. Think of the on the bubble, think of your chips as money and like try to do like a you know rough ICM calculation to convert the chips into actual dollars and play the same way you would if you had actual cash in front of you that will go a long way to help clarify some of these situations awesome well, thank you for explaining that carlos thank you duncan for writing and thank you all for listening to the thinking poker podcast anything else to talk about carlos no, no, no. This was a, a fun old school episode, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we should just do one of these like every 50 episodes. So I'll just take off my host hat and put on my guest hat and it'll be like old times. I know you want